let us join together in the call to worship. Here in this place, here in this place, here in this place, let us praise God together. be seated. We come to God in many ways in our lives, with rejoicing, with sorrow, with worry, at a loss. And we also come to God knowing that we have fallen short of God's intent for our lives, 
And so let us join together in confessing our sins to the all-wise God, who is gracious, merciful, and keeps the promise of fullness of life with us. Let us join in prayer. Almighty God, you love us, but we have not loved you. You call, but we have not listened. We walk away from neighbors in need, wrapped in our own concerns. We condone evil, prejudice, warfare, and greed. God of grace, help us to admit our sin so that come to you in mercy, we may repent, turn to you, and receive forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, amen. God's compassion is abundant. Through confessing our sin, we stand ready to receive the comfort of God's mercy and embrace of Christ's grace. Friends, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are In that spirit of forgiveness and compassion, I invite you now to share the peace of Christ with one another. Whether it is a friendly wave or a handshake or an embrace, let your kindness communicate God's love in this place this day. And for those of you who are joining us online this day, we invite you at this time to let us know that you are present with us by filling out the virtual pew pad found via the QR code or in the link below the video screen. On, on your display. We extend God's welcome to you and hope through your embrace that you will reach out to someone that you love or that you haven't been in touch with for a while to extend Christ's peace further. So may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let us share the peace. So again, welcome to worship this morning at Fourth Presbyterian Church, and today we are delighted to welcome a guest preacher in our midst, Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. Paul is in Chicago this week as the World Parliament of Religions is having its meeting, and there are many colleagues and friends and religious leaders participating in that remarkable event. Indeed, we welcome all of you in this service today who might be uh, participating in the parliament who have joined us for worship. The Reverend Paul Rauschenbusch is the president and CEO of Interfaith Alliance. He is an ordained Baptist minister, and Reverend Rauschenbusch is a longtime leader in the interfaith movement, working to protect the inclusive vision of religious freedom for people of all faiths and none. 
Prior to coming to the Interfaith Alliance, Reverend Rauschenbusch's distinguished career has included serving as senior vice president of Auburn Seminary, being the founding and executive editor of HuffPost Religion, and the associate dean of religious life and the chapel at Princeton University, and a founding editor of BeliefNet. These are among the things that Paul has done. Paul is regularly invited, invited to offer commentary on issues of religion and civil rights in national outlets such as CNN, major television networks, the New York Times, and so on and so on. <laughs> he has published two books and contributed essays to several volumes, and I'm delighted to call Paul a friend and am thrilled to welcome you to our pulpit this day, Paul. So this is a day of much abundance, and one aspect of that is that you are invited to join us following worship for a picnic out in the courtyard. We'll be having a barbecue and optional simple yard uh, games, as well as popsicle and activities for the children. So we're delighted to be able to do that this summer as we knit our community together in so many ways, but this is one way to connect with each other. I would also like to encourage you to complete the congregational survey from the Long Range Planning Task Force. Everyone's input is key to helping shape the future of Fourth Presbyterian Church over the next five years, and also laying the foundation for the calling of our next senior pastor. An email with the survey link was sent to members on Friday, and you can find the link in your bulletin, as well as at the long-range planning table in the coffee hour today. Also, I want to remind you that next Sunday, the Stephen Ministers will be offering an opportunity to learn more about this vital ministry. This opportunity will be uh, the Stephen Ministers are hosting a lunch and learn opportunity, and it will happen next Sunday with past and current Stephen Ministers talking about how this ministry has touched their lives and how they got involved. If you or someone you know are interested in learning whether a caring connection with a Stephen Minister might be a fit, this event is also for you. There's information of how to RSVP for this event in the bulletin and in our e-newsletter. And also, as we do weekly, you are invited to pray with a deacon following our service today in Stone Chapel. Stone Chapel is to your right, to the right of the pulpit, and you're welcome to bring prayers of celebration and joy, as well as concerns that you may be holding this day. So again, Welcome to all of you this day, and we are so glad that you are here worshiping the living God. And now we will continue with the sacrament of baptism. Friends, obeying the word of our Lord Jesus and confident of his promises, we baptize those whom God has called 
And we give particular thanks this morning for Bradley, John, and Henry as they are about to be baptized. In baptism, God claims us and seals us to show that we belong to God. God frees us from sin and death, uniting us with Christ. And by water and the Holy Spirit, we are made members of the church, the body of Christ, and joined to Christ's ministry of love, peace, and justice. So on this day, let us remember with joy our own baptisms as we celebrate this sacrament. So parents, would you please stand and answer these questions? Do you desire that your children be baptized? Do you? Do you, as their parents, confess your own faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and do you trust him? And relying on God's grace, do you intend your children to be Christ's disciples, to obey God's living word, and to show God's love? Thank you. You can be seated. And now I invite Kate Cups, a member of our church's session, who has a question for the entire congregation. In our Presbyterian tradition, the congregation as a whole takes responsibility for nurturing those baptized into the life of the church. Do you, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide and nurture these children by word and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging them to know and follow Christ and to be faithful members of Christ's church? If so, please say, we do. We do. Let us pray. We give thanks, eternal God, for your nourishment and sustaining of all living things by the gift of water. In the beginning of time, your spirit moved over the watery chaos, calling forth order and life. And in the waters of the Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. By baptism and his own death and resurrection, Christ frees us from sin and death and opened the way to eternal life. Gracious God, we pray now to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon this water, that this font may be a place of new birth. As these children pass through these waters, may they be delivered from death to life, from bondage to freedom, and to, from sin to righteousness. Strengthen them, O oh God, as they serve you with joy until the day that you make all things new. To you be all praise, honor, and glory through Jesus Christ our Savior, who is with you and the Holy Spirit reigns forever and ever. Amen. And now if you could present uh, those seeking baptism this morning. Leanna Horn presents her child, Bradley Vincent, for baptism. Bradley, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Bradley, child of the covenant, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. Amen. Beautiful. You can go be seated. John and Karen Sabine present their child, John Robert Frank, for baptism. Would the sponsors please stand? Hi. 
John Robert, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And John Robert, child of the covenant, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. Amen. Beautiful. Lucas and Stephanie Sage present their child, Henry Winston, for baptism. <laughs> Hello. Henry Winston, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Henry Winston, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you. So if I could invite the parents and the children who have been baptized to stand and face the congregation. These children are the newest members of our church family and it's with thanksgiving that we welcome them to share with Christ's ministry and it's with joy that we will watch them grow into the person that God has called them to be. So in gratitude as the gift of this sacrament, let us welcome them. And let us pray. Merciful and loving God, you have called each of us by name, and you hold us through your love. Watch over these children as they grow up, that you would guide them every step of the way, increase their compassion for others, and inspire them to make a difference in the world. Help them know that they are your beloved child, and help their parents as they teach their faith to them and help us as a church to support them in doing so. And may love and joy be a constant presence in their families and may they be continually inspired by you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. And may the grace of God, the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, amen.
Let us pray. O God, by your Holy Spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to follow Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 71, verses 1 through 6. Listen now for God's word to us. In you, O Lord, have I taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and set me free. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong rock, a castle to keep me safe. You are my fortress and my stronghold. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the clutches of the evildoer and the oppressor. For you are my hope, O Lord God, my confidence since I was young. I have been sustained by you ever since I was born. From my mother's womb, you have been my strength. My praise shall be always of you. The word of God for the people of God. If I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love remain, these three. And the greatest of these is love. Holy wisdom, holy word. I want to begin by saying how grateful I am to be here today. I was joking earlier that this church is like an abstraction to me, like a beacon that is out there always beckoning, and yet I've never been here. And so to come here this morning and feel the spirit that I felt throughout this service thus far, to be greeted in such a beautiful way by the entire congregation and staff and clergy, I just want to say thank you. And I want to say a quick mention of my mother, Mary Lou Duatful Rauschenbusch, who raised four ungrateful children going to a Presbyterian church every Sunday. And she has passed on, but today I feel like she is smiling and with me. So I want to thank all of you for this opportunity to speak with you today and what a blessing it is for me. This morning's talk is titled, Shall Christian Nationalists Win? The Critical Role of Congregations in Protecting Our Diverse Democracy. I want to focus on the power we have in our spiritual and religious communities that is absolutely crucial for meeting the current moment. The title of my talk is a reference to a sermon preached by Harry Emerson Fosdick in 1922 at First Presbyterian Church in New York City called Shall the Fundamentalist Win? It was one of the most famous sermons of the early 20th century. Fosdick's words have been much cited by liberal Christians over the last hundred years, concerned that their faith is being distorted by other Christians who are rigidly fixated on scriptural inerrancy, riven with apocalyptic worldviews, and intolerant of dissent. Reverend Fosdick was kicked out of his church for preaching that sermon. <laughs> Yet, however serious the religious and theological concerns that Fosdick addressed in the 1920s, the sermon only hints at the adverse effects of Christian fundamentalists had on the society in the early 20th century and in the decades since. A century later, we are faced with an even more serious threat, one that takes the theological language of Christian fundamentalism and grafts it onto a ruthless political machine intent on using the power of the state to enforce its worldview on the entire society. It might be helpful for me to take a few minutes to share some of the defining features of Christian nationalism, which is an ideology, not a religious movement. It is a quest for power, 
and a lens through which a growing number of Americans view their role in our society. It is not new, but it has drawn recent mainstream attention after Christian symbols, flags, and Bible verses were ubiquitous during the violent attack on the Capitol on January 6th. Christian nationalism has its roots in the dangerous myth that we were founded as an exclusive Christian nation and that Christianity holds a privileged place in our nation that must be preserved. They use the rhetoric of a Christian nation with its underpinnings of white supremacy, xenophobia, patriarchy, and authoritarianism to dictate who is a true American and who will be relegated to perennial outside status. The goal of Christian nationalism is the consolidation of power in the hands of an exclusive religious and political movement, and it is using churches, courts, and increasingly electoral politics to gain power over the majority of American people. The goal of Christian nationalism is the establishment of a theocracy. Unfortunately, Christian nationalism is not relegated to the shadowed corners of our country. A poll released a few months ago by Public Religion Research Institute and Brookings indicates that close to 30% of Americans are either adherents or sympathetic to Christian nationalism, and that among white evangelical Protestant, that number jumps to nearly two-thirds. One in four Americans believe that the United States should declare itself a Christian nation. As journalist and author Catherine Stewart recently wrote in The New Republic, Christian nationalists are increasingly framing their efforts as a spiritual battle that resonates with many of its followers from the more charismatic traditions. Christian nationalism pits the power of Jesus, their side, versus the power of Satan, which are any who oppose them. The spiritualization of political power introduces a zero-sum game in which compromise is capitulation and in which nothing less than God's favor is at stake, stakes which lead to violence. And violence is acceptable in the Christian nationalist worldview. They approve of using violence for their goals at seven times the rate of other Americans. Nearly one in five Americans assert that not only is the United States a white Christian nation, but also that they are willing to fight to preserve it. If you are alarmed, then you are paying attention, because we should be alarmed. But that does not mean that we should lose hope. The good news is, as of now, Christian nationalism continues to be unpopular. 70% of Americans reject the call to declare America a Christian nation. Close to 75% of Americans said they prefer a country made up of diversity of faiths, not just Christianity. 80% of Americans reject the idea that Christians should exercise dominion over all areas of American society. Christian nationalist views on race, gender, immigration, and LGBTQ people are also unpopular and out of step with the American public. 
We are in a crucial moment, and it will take all of us to counteract the influence of Christian nationalist ideology and to defend our democracy. Spiritual and religious congregations like this one will play a critical role because of the power you have. Now, before I get to the role of congregations, I want to tell you a foundational story about my own spiritual development, which harkens back to my mother. I was raised in a Presbyterian church in Madison, Wisconsin, and we went to church on Sundays, and it was expected of us that around the age 15 or 16, that we would go through confirmation classes to decide whether or not we would join the church. Now, I believe I'm the only person to have failed confirmation in the history of the Presbyterian Church. (laughs) That's because I didn't know that attending confirmation classes was mandatory. (laughs) Instead, I went and played with my friends and then went home about after an hour or so. And when the time came to get confirmed, I actually showed up the day before and the pastor said to the room, almost all of you will be confirmed tomorrow. And he looked at me. And it taught me one of the most important lessons of my spiritual life, that it mattered that I showed up. It mattered to my family, it mattered to the church, and it mattered to me that I showed up for what I believed and showed up along others as a community. Right now in this pivotal moment in our nation's history, it matters that we as individuals, but also we as faith and spiritual communities of all kinds, show up and stand up against Christian nationalism. In this moment when civic spaces where people traditionally congregate, such as public schools, higher education, libraries, are being hollowed out, the physical campuses that house spiritual and religious congregations can serve as welcoming locations where people can continue to come together to find common ground and common purpose. Isolation and separation are the enemies of democracy. But when we come together and grow in trust and understanding and we build a powerful inoculation against a culture, of demonization and distrust in which Christian nationalism thrives. Many congregations are already playing this role like Fourth Presbyterian, and it would be powerful to see an interconnected map of Chicago with dozens, probably hundreds of stars signifying spiritual and religious communities that are destinations where diverse civic life is valued and people from every background are invited to physically come together and know one another. In addition to locations where we can draw people in, congregations have networks to send people out for rapid mobilization and response. Congregations are people, and people are power. If a local temple or mosque or other communities has been targeted with bigotry and violence, as as is increasingly the case, congregations like this one can bring out people to show up to offer solidarity and support. 
In addition to moments of crisis, congregations have the power to mobilize a diverse group of religious and spiritual people from a range of traditions to show up side by side in public forums, community rallies, to the voting booth, sending clear signals to our elected officials and to our neighbors that we reject the exclusivist claims of a Christian nationalism and demand that our community be a place where all people of all faiths and all backgrounds are treated equally under the law. Congregations can also provide a hub of reliable information sharing and education. Knowledge is power, and congregations are places of learning about spiritual traditions and practices, but also about the world in which we live reading books together, watching films, educating ourselves about our country's history and the experiences of diverse Americans in an environment of open inquiry is more important now than ever when there is so much information, disinformation at work. As we know, Christian nationalists are attempting to erase our history with book bans and restrictions on college courses. We need to mobilize to reverse those efforts. But in the meantime, the learning can go on inside of congregations like this one. I talked to one pastor in Florida who is organizing an accredited African-American studies AP course in his church for which students will receive credit. In a conversation I had with Diana Butler Bass, she suggested that every congregation should look at the banned book list in their community and invest in buying those books for their congregation's library. And as I was writing this sermon, a seminary classmate of mine posted that she was reading from her church's banned book brunch selection. <laughs> now, it's tragic that it has come to this, but it does call upon the great part of a religious tradition in America where congregations have been places of resistance as well as locations where truth is protected and shared. Perhaps the greatest contribution of congregations to this effort will not be what, but how we will approach the struggle against Christian nationalism. I confess that Christian nationalism and the people who are its followers really frighten me. As a gay man with a husband and two children, I hear the words they use to talk about me, and I fear what they would do to my family. I find my hand bawling into a fist as I prepare for the fight ahead. We are in a dangerous situation, and we need to be heads up about the threat. However, it is worth considering how we shall engage this struggle without becoming that which we despise. This is perhaps the most important role that congregations can play in this current moment. We heard the reading from 1 Corinthians. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This reading that is so recognizable to many of us from weddings 
was not actually written about the love between two individuals. It was written about an early Christian church in Corinth that was divided by issues of class, gender, backgrounds, and different ways to practice their faith. Earlier in the letter, Paul attempts to persuade the church how much they need each other, and that the diversity within their church is part of their strength. And in this passage, he acknowledged that there are many ways for followers of Jesus to practice their faith. But there is one characteristic that is the most important, and that is love. One more confession. When I hear about love, when I feel angry and threatened, as I do about Christian nationalism, it's hard for me to contain my rolling eyes. I mean, come on. Love? However, when I look to the spiritual leaders whom I admire the most, they talk about love. Mahatma Gandhi said, the nectar of love alone can destroy the poison of hate. Gandhi's student, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., told us, hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great of a burden to bear. And Nelson Mandela said, no one is born hating another person because of the color of their skin, or his background, or his religion. People must learn to hate, and if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. The challenge Christian nationalism poses to our country is grave, but certainly no graver than what Dr. King, Mahatma Gandhi, or Nelson Mandela faced. They chose love because they looked into the deep well of their spiritual traditions and saw the path of love offered the greatest resource and tactic that would actually lead to the future they longed for. The opportunity for us is to do the same. It starts in a way that is very personal. And the local congregation can help each of us learn how to access the love in our spirits, hearts, and minds. How do we learn the discipline of love? Because it is hard to learn and requires practice but as so many of our spiritual forebears remind us, it can and it must be done. Each diverse congregation will call upon its own wisdom, which is the beauty of it. And we can learn from one another's tradition of love as a source of ultimate power. We can also learn the collective practice of love that is nonviolent resistance. In an interview I did with Representative John Lewis, about his time in the civil rights movement, he told me that people had to be trained in nonviolence before they were ever allowed to go out to the protests. Our congregations can be a place where we learn the deep roots of nonviolent protests and show up with love, even as we resist the powers that would try to demean or destroy us. Love will be our guide our tactic, and our power as our congregations mobilize in this time of great challenge to our democracy. In our tradition, we believe that the resurrection of Jesus shows us that love is more powerful than death. Love bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love taps into the deepest wells of the spirit and joins people together to refuse to hate. Love diffuses lies. Love targets no one. Love casts a vision for the future in which everyone has dignity and worth. Love is the beloved community. This is not just about them out there. This is about us. When we are overcome by love, we show up and we uncurl the fist and extend the hand to people of all faiths, races, and backgrounds, even those who now adhere to Christian nationalism. Together, we will be powerful, and together, love will win. May it be so. Please join me in saying what it is we believe using the words of the Apostles' 
Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The white roses in the chancel this morning indicate two losses in our community. James Ethan Jacobs died on August 1st, and Richard P. Struble died on August 6th. We give thanks for each of their precious lives and for their eternal embrace now in new life with God. Let us pray. O holy God, we live in times fraught with division and anxiety, injustice and cruelty. You speak to us of love, and yet we find ourselves swept up into conflict and hatred. Call us back to your love and help us to embody that love in justice. Shine your light into our hearts so that we might open like flowers turning toward the sunshine of your grace. Make our love a strong love, rooted in trust and knowledge of your presence and your power. We pray today for all people who are suffering, whether from illness, grief, war, or natural disaster. Be with the people of Maui as they work to recover and rebuild their lives and communities after the devastating fires that took so many precious lives and uprooted so many more. Be with victims of war and violence of any kind. Bring healing and strength to escape deadly situations and transform desperation into possibility. Lead us to new ways of being in relationship to each other and to your creation. Be with world leaders and community leaders, shaping vision, giving each one wisdom, compelling each to act for the true well-being and justice for all. Bless those this week who gather for the Parliament of World Religions. Inspire them and bind them into stronger networks of community filled with respect, courage, curiosity, and commitment to your world, to all peoples, and to all that you have created, Holy One. Guide our hands and feet as well, that we may do your work and reflect your dreams of wholeness and generosity in all our relations. 
Let us lean on you, O God of all creation. Let us depend on you and be inspired by you, but let us not forfeit our own responsibility and our own power in shaping your world. As we lift up our spoken prayers and the silent prayers of our hearts, help us to remember, Holy One, that now we know only in part, but even here, faith, hope, and love abide. And the greatest of these is love. Bind us to your steadfast love, God, and receive our prayers as we join our voices with the voice of Jesus, praying as he taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, let us love not only in our hearts and in our words, but through our deeds. The tithes and offerings that we give today make possible many ministries of service, support, justice, and beauty. Let us give with joyful hearts. Our morning offering will now be received.
creation. O oh God, bless these gifts that we have given as expressions of our love for you and our neighbors, that they may bring closer to fulfillment your reign of peace and love through Jesus Christ, our Sovereign. Amen. Go forth into the world guided by, inspired by, and embodying the radical love that is in the heart of God's creation. And may God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, that trinity of love, bless you and keep you now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>